0: Dog Training Digital presents the E-collar's podcast with Robin McFarlane and Steve Snell. All right, so today we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about pressure necrosis, which is, it's when an E-collar causes physical damage to a dog's neck. It's a very, it's a very bad thing when it happens, but it is a human-made error, in my opinion, I would say pretty much the majority of the time, but it is something that gives callers a bad rap. And I think that typically people are uneducated in the process or you're going to see some stuff online that's wrong. And so let's talk a little bit about what it is and how it happens and how you avoid it.
1: okay Yeah, well, it it is something that it's something we need to talk about. Probably, I I think every trainer ought to be talking about it to their clients. Anybody that's using a rope collar ought to be talking about it because if we don't talk about it, then the misconception that the equipment itself can burn the dog's skin continues to circulate. And that is a misconception. As we both know, Steve, these things don't generate heat. They don't burn in that sense. But pressure necrosis is because of, as you said, most of the time handler air, inappropriate wear. So what's going on is because a collar has to fit snug in order to actually work, if people are not watching the amount of wear time, and for one of the things, like I tell people, rotate the collar, and we'll talk about that in a few minutes, but what happens is those contact points are always applying pressure to the same spot on skin, and what happens when that is going on is the tissue underneath is going to lose circulation if it goes on for too long. And when tissue loses circulation, then it starts to break down, right? So it's very similar and as to what a human would get with a bed sore. If somebody is confined to a bed or they can't get out of their chair or that kind of thing, you see that breakdown of the skin. And that's what's happening if we are doing inappropriate wear time with a collar. I have seen in Prior to being a trainer, I was a veterinary technician. I saw these type of things with regular collars, just same thing. Generally, what we saw there is we saw collars that were put on a dog as a puppy and, and slip collars, regular flat collars, that kind of thing put on as a puppy and never changed and never yep. sized up. And then, you know, eventually the puppy grows and now it's flying pressure and to the point where it actually got embedded oftentimes in the skin absolutely disgusting problem but you just can't have something pressing against in the same spot like that for a long duration of the time or you're going to have problems
0: so so we've seen um it, to me it's one of those things too that there's multiple ways that that it can happen that creates an issue because it's not always just one thing i see a lot of it or typically where we run into it most most commonly is in bark collars and containment systems. So bark collars are a real easy one to fall into because you got a dog that's a chronic barker and you go to a bark collar and you put it on him and it fixes the problem. And I've seen people leave bark collars on dogs for weeks and they come back to it when they can smell the Mm rot, which is absolutely disgusting. But basically that dogs had that collar on for an extended period of time. And and it's just eventually you end up with you end up with sores. And depends on at what point you catch it at. But you know, it can look like where there's sores, but just where the probes are, which is what leads to the misconception of it burned my dog because where the contact points are and where the stimulation's coming out, that's typically where you're gonna have. Well, it's not burned this type of electricity, doesn't do that. It's static like static electricity is it can't burn. What it can do and where it's coming from is the pressure of those probes up against the neck. If you read the instruction manual. You're only supposed to wear the collar eight hours at a time or 12 hours at a time. I think most of the manufacturers avoid going into it as in depth as they probably should because it is one of those things that'll ruin somebody if they're not mentally prepared for it. And so we try to talk about it a good bit because it's definitely something that you don't want to do. What do you mean
1: by that, Steve? It'll ruin somebody.
0: There's nothing worse than talking to somebody about it and they didn't know it was going to happen. And you go, well, it's because you left the collar on the dog too long. Mm. Well, now you're at fault for harming your dog. Okay. So that's not a, that's not a comfortable conversation to have with somebody where you go, no, ma'am, the collar didn't do that. It's because the dog wore the collar an inappropriate amount of time, which means that the owner of the dog did it to the dog by taking a tool and using it in an inappropriate way. And so nobody, nobody wants, they want to, they want to blame the product, but that's not the case. And so, so we try to, we talk about it openly and it is one of those things that if you don't know that and you don't talk to somebody about it that understands it or it's not explained to you properly, then you will blame the product for it. And it should just, there's no situation where it should happen. Containment systems are the same way, where people get used to having their dogs in a containment area and they want them to be able to be out there all the time. And that's just not realistic. There's just not, there's just not a setup where you can, where you can have a dog Wear a containment collar 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. That's not how the product's designed work. You just can't do it that way. You can end up with a problem. I think the other part of the problem is that it varies by the dog. And I tend to go on the side of every dog's going to have a problem. Don't do it this way. Well, some dogs are more sensitive to it than others. Yeah. I had a dog that two or three hours in the same spot, she was going to start to show some signs. Probably the most sensitive dog that I ever saw with it and real thin coat and just just, she reacted to the collar. And so we had to keep an eye on And that, I think is the other part of it too, is that especially in the beginning of using any type of product on your dog, you need to be inspecting your dog. You need to be looking at them and making sure what's going on there. And so I like to look at a dog's neck, just keep an eye on them. But that's, and that's one of those things too, that you would think you wouldn't have to say, but you really Mm. do because- you want to you look at it and see how that dog's reacted. And as you start to stretch out the time that they're wearing them, you got to keep an eye on it. Have you ever seen a dog that you didn't have trouble with, but as they aged, it became worse? I'm not sure. I have not.
1: I... No, I've never seen that. As a general rule, I've seen exactly what you have attested to is that you keep an eye on them young. If you're going to have a dog that's going to be more prone, you generally see it right away. As I progress through a few weeks of training if I'm not seeing anything in you know, sure. the second, third, fourth week. And I'm one of those people that I do, as a general rule, probably have a collar on a dog 12 hours or so sure. while they're in training with me. Yeah. So if I'm not seeing problems by the end of the time frame that I have that dog, they're probably not going to have any real issues, providing that the person, and it's my job to educate the person, understands proper wear. When I say I leave it on for 12 hours, I rotate it. So if I've got it on the left side for for four hours or so, then I'm gonna move it over to the other side later in the day. So I do rotate. I also think there are some dogs that have thin coats that have light colored coats seem to be way more prone to having a problem. So I think that's something that sh- people should be aware of. I also go out of my way to let people know if you are going to swim your dog or you're right. out in the rain or up here at our northern climate with a lot of snow. You're out playing in the snow after your dog is wet. You need to take it off and let them get dry. And I want to make sure people understand it is not that moisture intensifies the electricity. This has nothing to do with the collar and how it functions and burning that kind of thing, moisture, the combination of moisture and friction sure. is going to create a problem. So when you've got contact points rubbing against moist skin, it's like if you or I are going to go out jogging in the rain and have a pair of snug fitting shoes on and you keep jogging in them, right. even though it starts to get a little bit irritated, you're going to have a problem relatively quickly. And I do think that's where some people can be taken by surprise that they'll say, well, I don't think I've put it on for too long. Right. I just took him swimming and we were just there for a couple hours. Well, as soon as he was out of the water, if I got him tethered or whatever, or crated, I'm going to take the collar off and let him get dry because sure. that's a problem.
0: Well, I I want to have a collar on a dog at any time where we're doing training to the point that I would need to make a correction. But if I have a situation where I've got a dog that's he's comfortable in the crate, unlikely I'm going to need to make a correction while they're in the crate and I'm going to crate them, I'll take my collars off. I tend not to, like in my vehicle when my dogs are in their in their crates and I've got a truck that's, that's built for it, I, I tend for my dogs not to wear their collars when they're inside the boxes of my truck unless it's a barking situation. Mm-hmm. I have a couple yeah. of dogs that as soon as you put my truck into drive, they start <laughs> and so so they typically get to wear, they get to wear a collar when we're driving, but that's that's just because I can't take unnecessary barking. Yeah. Oh. So, typically it is from having a collar on and the collar being on even correctly and it's tight and you got that pressure. But you can also have a problem by wearing a collar too loose. Yes. And so I think that throws people too. So it's one of those things where, well, yeah, if it's all too tight, this can happen, but if it's all too loose, this can happen. And so that's the, the movement on the neck also creates a problem. Yeah. And so, uh, so that's another situation where, where you've got to have it on them correctly. Or it's When
1: I work. think people should understand that because again, back to my vet tech days, if anybody, golden retrievers were notorious for it, the goldens, and now we see a lot of it with doodles and those kind of hair coats, they get it from scratching themselves. You get a dog that had an ear infection or a little bit of whatever. He starts scratching a little bit. All it takes is a slight little abrasion into the skin. And now when the dog keeps scratching at it, when you've got that combination of friction going on, right, and then maybe he licks his paws and now he's got moisture and then he scratches again. And what was a, the size of a fingernail? Sure. Turns into something like this. And the same kind of thing happens with this remote collar, right? We see these contact points wiggling around because of too loose a fit. And then if the dog does get a little bit of irritation, well, then the dog does start to scratch at it. I mean, it becomes, I have seen them blow up overnight. You've just got a massive, really nasty looking wound on the dog's neck. And it is so important that people understand that has nothing to do with how the collar actually works. It is a really unfortunate situation. I think the more we talk about it and help people understand what it is, and then certainly what we want to do now is I think we want to at some point here switch into, well, what can you do to avoid it? Sure. But, oh my gosh, and I do think it's important to mention that people understand if it gets that nasty, you're going to the vet. All right. I don't know about you, but you're going to that. You're not dealing with that yourself, right?
0: Yeah. it's going to depend on at what point I can't remember Some right. I've had trouble with it, but it's like anything else. It depends on what your level is and what you're comfortable with. i had I had a dog get a hotspot. It was amazing how quickly it went from when did this happen? And this mm-hmm. is what's this is Dakota. She's in the house. She gets looked at constantly, and I don't even know she went outside. She, wet. Something was bothering her. She started chewing on it. And next thing, she's got a spot on her tail this big. I mean, it was huge. And of course it's, uh, you know, Saturday afternoon, (laughs) bed's closed. And so I carry enough gear where I just, I went out and I shaved it and cleaned everything up, got the hair off of it. and, And I was like, well, we'll take her on Monday. But by the time Monday got around, she was in good shape. It definitely depends on one of those things. I expect you'd have some people that wouldn't want to take the dog to the vet if it happened because now you know, if they have a vet that's either anti or doesn't understand. Right, right, college, right, right. Now they're going to get chastised or they're going to they're going to have something like that happen. So it a lot of it depends on your situation, but yeah, you got to get it fixed. You, it's not something that you can avoid. Yeah. And you you want to understand what happened and how it happened and how to avoid it. It's how long It's having it on correctly. It's making sure everything's dry after you get in a wet situation. But then there's some other, what other things do you do to avoid it happening?
1: So my checklist, what I tell people is A, and you said this already, is you got to get in the habit of checking the dog's neck. I want people brushing their dog routinely. So brushing here to remove the dead hair. And that automatically means, because if we get the dead hair out and I see lots of dogs like doodles, for instance, lots of dogs that get mats, right? They get sure. hair matted. Right. Well, if you aren't brushing and grooming and you've got dead hair in there and you've got potential mats, we got a contact point two problem to begin with. Okay. Plus, now that creates extra moisture against the skin. It's another barrier. You increase the likelihood of pressure sores getting started. So good grooming habits, keeping them brushed is number one and checking the neck. Those go hand in hand. Then we have to make sure as far as good fit. One of the things that I do to help people understand good fit is either A, I will mark their collar. We're talking about the traditional type of collar strap. That's like a belt buckle, right? I will mark it with a Sharpie. This is the hole that your collar needs to be um, secured in. Yep. And it's going to change if it's a young dog that's still growing, but otherwise, this is where it needs to be. Or we switch over to different types of collar straps. If we use a bungee strap, those are fairly popular. That can help you. You can't put a bungee on too loose, really. I think it's hard just because of the mechanics of how they work. It helps people fit it a bit more properly. Okay. So
0: so just explain some folks may not know what that is.
1: So, a bungee strap is uh, if you're going to take the collar strap off of your uh, receiver pull that out. A bungee strap has a little piece of a biothane or whatever the material is going to be plastic. And that goes through your receiver. And then on each side, what you have is a D-ring and you actually have bungee material. And that comes up around the back of the neck and then there's a toggle. So when you put this thing on, you put it over the dog's head, Now, when you pull that toggle in order to make it snug, it's automatically going to adjust to have a pretty nice, secure fit with the dog. So that can, it can kind of take some of the guesswork out of fitting your collar correctly. That works. There's another type of collar strap where you can take the original on, put this one on and you end up with a clickable buckle. And that works well for a fair amount of dogs. I caution people a little bit in using those if they have dogs that get routine grooming. Because when you got a dog that needs routine grooming, it just gets a little bit, if you got the hair coat really short when they're initially groomed, right. and now you've got six weeks of growth, things are changing and you can't get the buckle in. And what they, because the hair is protruding out here and they can't get it buckled, they will loosen it. Size of the neck didn't actually change. because yep. that hair coat is impeding your ability to get the buckle snapped. So I'm a little careful about those kind of hair coats wanting to put on those buckle straps. I think so changing the strap could the other thing that I think changing the strap can be beneficial for some dogs. Some dogs I think are more prone to getting skin infections and skin irritations to begin with because they are just hypersensitive. Now I want anyone to use the word hypersensitive. But you know we're seeing so many dogs with allergy problems and right. stuff like that nowadays. Steve. So I think these dogs that have increased sensitivity to other things, we have to be hyper vigilant about having a remote collar on those dogs and wearing it properly. And that's where sometimes just changing the strap to something that's cotton and that's a, has a little bit more breathing to it, rather yeah. than the plastic that traps sure. moisture. Again, I'm talking specifically because I'm recommending a lot of my clients are wearing these for a longer time. I think when people are doing the things that you do, you take your dogs out to a field and you do your training and there's kind of an on and off thing a bit more. I think you're going to have less likelihood of problems. That's just my guess. I can't say that, obviously, definitively. But anyway, so that's the things that I'm telling people about. Obviously, when they're swimming, again, I tell everybody it's completely safe to use this thing in the water. But when you get the dog out of the water, let's take the collar off. Let's dry the dog with a towel, dry the collar with the dog, the collar with the towel, and then let's leave it off until the dog is really, really dry, because there's going to still be some moisture there. People are just too quick to maybe want to put it back on before that moisture is all gone. So I think that's an area that we need to just help educate people about it. And. Uh, The other things I I am kind of on board with you having my medical background, I will treat a certain amount of things on my own. The number one thing that's going to help prevent and heal if you get some sort of collar sore, number one thing that's going to help is airflow. Sure. So keeping that hair from getting matted there. And that takes me a full circle back to the grooming routine. That people are doing with their dogs.
0: Yeah. If you have a dog that has any type of, any type of hair, I've gotten bad. I have a lot of short-coated dogs. And then you add mm-hmm. in dogs with long coats and it's a whole different responsibility level. You have to check them and stay on top of it. And even a long-haired dog doesn't necessarily mean a thick-coated dog. Mm-hmm. And so but there's a lot of variation in there as far as what you're going to get. And so... Having a dog that is comfortable with you checking out everything, and that's a conversation that we always have. It's that dog that you want them used to, you put your hands on them, because I'm going to spend a lot of time on that neck because I don't want, I don't ever want a collar to be a negative association with the dog. I always want it to be a positive association and spending time with my hands around that dog's neck and just rubbing and checking. I want that to be something that they're comfortable with so I can keep an eye on any potential problem because it is typically it's going to be something that we're going to find out pretty quick.
1: And the first time somebody's touching their dog's neck is when they've got a collar sore.
0: Yeah. We're
1: not going to proceed forward from there very easily.
0: That's just not good. And I do think that you see that sometimes mm-hmm. where you have folks that they're not quite as involved as maybe they need to be and, and something like this can, can slip by them. And next thing they know, they've got this full blown problem. And you're just like, how is it possible that happened? And it it really is. It's just, it can happen that fast and it can happen if you're just not paying attention to, to, to what you're dealing with. Okay. So there are some other options though. And some dogs, we have to go this route. We have some different kinds of, of products that you can use that will help. I tend not to go this route immediately, but You know, we have some dogs that require it. So what is your experience with the, let's start with like contact pads. Where, where do you try to use something like a contact pad? What Um, is a contact pad?
1: Well, the contact pad, you might correct me if I'm wrong on this. My understanding is they first came out because of the hidden fence collars, because the wear time was a little longer. They wanted something that the dog could, in theory, you could, in theory, wear the collar a little bit looser, a little bit longer amount of time because they allowed, instead of just having two points of contact, right, the two probe, right. you had this pan that had multiple points of contact and therefore it gave a little bit looser fit in the way it reduced the likelihood of pressure necrosis. So that was my understanding of how they were developed. Used them on a remote collar. My choice of when I'm going to pick that out for a dog is A, super short coat. Now we're thinking in terms of maybe boxer, pit mix, something like that. Maybe a real smooth coated terrier that is white. That's light colored on the chin. I'm going to be thinking very quickly of a contact pad possibility with that dog. I'll test it and see how it goes. But if I see that there's pinkness, then I'm going to probably switch them over to a contact pad. Something about white short coats. They tend to be very sparse, very thin, and therefore they seem to get, and this is just anecdotal evidence, I don't have any stat uh, data to back it up, but they just seem to be more likely to get these pressure sores on them. So I'm going to think about using them with those types of dogs. That's been my experience.
0: So I'm not sure if that's you're talking about, how the contact pads were originally developed. I'm not sure if it was just so much for that. I mean, it was definitely Pressure necrosis played a role in it and dogs being able to wear it. The idea behind it is it spreads the stimulation out. And so it, it changes it changes how it goes up against the dog's neck. And yeah, I find that the thicker coated dogs, they don't work as well. I've used a few of them. It's typically not my go-to, but that's one of those things where it just depends. I think that something that everybody needs to know about that type of product is that it's going to change your stimulation. It changes the way the stimulation feels. And so some dog, dogs are going to react differently when you go to a contact pad. There's several different kinds on the market, but my experience with all of them is it changes the way the stimulation feels for the dog. And that can cause you to raise levels, lower levels, depending on the situation. So that's something.
1: That, that's, that would be my second, that's my second go-to if I'm not concerned for the pressure necrocious issue. If I have a dog that's uber sensitive to stimulation. Yeah. I will choose a contact sure. pad because yep. it seems to, it seems to, what's the word that I want? It diminishes, it seems right. to diminish this the output to the dog. So therefore, let's say in theory, a five on a rheostat dial was causing that dog to jump, which is almost unheard of, but it happened. Sure. Then sure. I could put a contact pad on and the same level doesn't get me that response. Right. He's cool with it. So yeah. it yeah. changes it.
0: It kind of gives you a little bit more bottom end as far as just giving you more options on the lower end of a collar. That is true. This The other product that's along those lines, along the same lines as the contact pads would be the plastic probes. We have had plastic probes, I think with three of the manufacturers, you got to be real specific to make sure. I know Dogtra's had some stuff. They've got, we were talking about the Dogtra IQ collar earlier, which is a small dog collar and it has plastic probes built into it.
1: Yeah, the mini. Uh,
0: yeah, yeah. Garmin has they developed their plastic probes with the bark limiter too, but some of us are using them on it's the same style probe and it, it works. I use them on my bark collars, just on the PT10 collars, oh. and I've had real good luck with that. And then we've done some work with their plastic probes on just their regular collars. And same situation there. It changes. They've got a little bit more of a rounded tip to them. I've never had a dog that had trouble with them. So it it allows you, a dog that's incredibly sensitive, the plastic probes will, they'll give you some to give you a lot of leeway as far as how long a dog can wear a collar, but it tends to change the stimulation. You tend to have to step up with most of the dogs. So kind of same thing there. If you've got a dog that's incredibly sensitive, you can go to the plastic probes and a few more options on the bottom end. For a dog that's super sensitive to low levels, that's typically not why I'm doing it. It's got more to do with if I have a dog that's sensitive to wearing a collar. And so I've had a lot of luck with those. I tend not to go to folks and go, hey, you're going to have do this. I'm not trying to sell somebody an additional. It's not, oh, you bought this collar, but now you got to buy this. It's more of a, it's more of an add on if you need it than anything else. And hopefully people will find that out the, the easy way and not find it out the hard way. That would be the goal. But really, I think really, if you just dial it down to just to get it down to the basic, it is the know what your dog's doing, know how long he's wearing it, make sure he's wearing it correctly, and then check it and check it. You take the collar off, you check the dogs. And if you start to see the signs of it, then you need to, you need to go, okay, wait a minute. What are we doing here? Don't find out the hard way.
1: Yeah. Steve went way back when I was working in a vet clinic and I was the technician. So I was always taking the intake history. And if I'm asking a dog owner, whatever it is, it's a lump or it's a hot spot, or it's a nasty smell to the ears. If I say, when did you first notice this? And they couldn't answer that question. Yeah. We got a problem. Yeah. Yeah. You're not doing what you're supposed to as a good dog owner. Yeah. Check your dogs.
0: Yeah check your dogs. Yeah, it is not hard to do. And I think anybody that owns a dog is at some point has been guilty of it where they missed something. But it is, it is important to be able to get your hands on them and to go through them. And it can be, it can be part of the process of how you interact with it. And I like to, I like to be able to go from nose to tail and all the feet and underneath and be able to put my hands on them all the way around them just so that these things don't Become a surprise. Yep. Yeah, and we all we do we all learn it the hard way. You, you get to have an uncomfortable conversation at some point. Yeah. And nobody likes to to be the cause of it, but you know it's. You're like petting a lot
1: them of every day, so you're yeah. petting them every day. You might as well take a good look up here. I'm petting them all the time to look for ticks. We're yep. still we're looking for ticks, staying their year round. And yeah, it seems crazy, but that is
0: uh, yeah. We find them down here in the winter on a pretty regular basis. So so yeah, it's just another it's just another step in the process. Yep. And folks need to know that it can happen so that it won't happen. Yes. And so that's really what we're looking for here. Yeah. All right. Thanks again. Thanks for joining us. For more information or to purchase Robin's online dog training programs, visit ecollars.com.
2: This is Robin McFarland's e-collar training. This video series takes a systematic approach to e-collar use from introduction to off-leash control. Three dogs of varying personalities were adopted from a shelter environment and trained daily over the course of three weeks. This series captures the real-time footage starting from day one of introducing the e-collar and progresses to the point of off-leash control and working around real-world distractions. Robin takes you step-by-step through the process of laying a foundation solving common problems, working through distractions, and graduating to off-leash freedom. The systematic approach and detailed instruction is designed specifically with a novice e-collar user in mind, but even experienced trainers will find a gem or two to add to the training toolbox. Each of the dogs in this video series, Grace, Brandy, and Bonnie started training within 72 hours of being adopted from a shelter environment. What you will see is real-time training sessions, not special editing or previously trained dogs. Watch dogs with different temperaments being worked through challenges toward the goal of off-leash control and a greatly improved relationship with their handler. Robin's e-collar instructional materials are clear, concise, and never sacrifice the physical or emotional well-being of the dog. With this training, your dog will be calmer, more controlled, and be able to experience the joy of off-leash freedom. If you've longed to be able to trust your dog off-leash, but don't have the confidence to start training with an e-collar, this video series is for you. Any dog owner that is interested in learning an easier way to communicate with their dog while gaining off-leash reliability will benefit from this DVD series. This five disc set will take you step by step through the process from starting the training and finding a level up through working around distractions and being ready to go off leash.